Please open your Bibles to Revelations 3. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 6. It can be found on page 1916 of your Pew Bibles. Let's bow our head in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Pastor Chris as he brings your message to us this morning. Please open our hearts and our minds. In your name we pray. Amen. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jonathan. When I was 12 years old, we moved a total of about six blocks. Family move, we got up, we moved to a different house about six blocks away. And on the first night in that house, we had, uh, we had some people staying over with us who had been helping us move. And so uh, all the arrangements were made were who was sleeping where, and my dad ended up sleeping on the couch in the living room. I assure you he was not in trouble with my mom that day. But in the middle of the night, someone tried breaking into the house. They actually got in the side door, they walked up the steps into the kitchen, and as they came through the kitchen into the living room, my dad sat up and just said, can I help you? The guy was scared, ran to the back door, tripped down the stairs, ended up, we found out later, breaking his arm on the door uh, as he went out the door, and, and the police caught him uh, later the next day. The whole thing unfolded, though, without anybody else in the house waking up. My mom didn't, my sisters didn't, I didn't, the guests who were with us didn't wake up. The police were literally in our living room and none of us woke up. Completely, completely surprised to hear the story. And if it wasn't for the fingerprint dust on the doorframe and the blood on the doorframe, we probably wouldn't have believed my dad. But it happened. Sardis had its own thief in the night stories in its history. 
Sardis was one of the great cities. In fact, it, it was a great city of the Persian Empire. And if you look over its complete history, already in 800 BC, around the time of Isaiah, Sardis was one of the leading cities of the Persian Empire. So you have Xerxes there, and you have Cyrus, who, who has a palace there at one time. And, and you even a few centuries later get Alexander the Great coming through and, and declaring the greatness of the city of Sardis. It was built on a mountaintop in the middle of a plain. There was no other mountains around it. It's just this solitary mountain built up out of the middle of a plain. And that plain had a river going through it, and that river had gold in it. And the city was known to be extremely wealthy. Because of this fresh source of gold, because of, of this citadel that, that was built there on the mountaintop that seemed impenetrable. Well, at least for the first 400 years, between 800 and 400, it seemed impenetrable. But we know that around the year 400, an army came up, and that army was able to capture the city of Sardis without any fighting. And the way it happened was that the city of Sardis, because it had the citadel up on the mountaintop, and it only had one road going up that mountain, they put all their military forces to guard the city at the entrance of that road. So if they were down in the plain and they saw an opposing army come, they would sound the alarm and the whole city would come in from the plain and they'd go up into the citadel up top the mountain and the army would come out to the edge of the road and they'd watch the road and they'd protect the city. And it had worked for 400 years. But this time, someone as an opposing army dared to scale the mountain out back. And there are written records of getting up there to the top of the mountain and the opposing army saying, there's no one guarding this city. And they walked into the city streets unopposed. They captured the king and the war was over. You'd think if that happened once, you would learn. It happened again about 200 years later. <laughs> same thing, same type of thing. The army comes up the mountainside out back where everybody thought no one can get in. We're safe here. We're comfortable here. And it happened again. And one more thing happened to the city of Sardis. It's important for us to hear this because despite its great history, despite its great wealth, despite its, its great recognition as this prominent, majestic city in the plain filled with gold. In A.D. 17, about 60 or 70 years before we read this story, this letter today, an earthquake hit the city. And literally, a chunk of the mountainside on which the city was built collapsed, and the city crumbled. Then we know from other records, Roman records, that the Roman government assisted in rebuilding the city because it was such a majestic city, they wanted it back, but it never regained its former glory. There were broken remains, rubble around, that the people could see of what used to be, but was no longer. To this city, that's had the thief in the night twice, that had an earthquake come and reduce it to much less than what it used to be, Jesus says these words, Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. 
Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. All the other letters, Jesus has a comment in there to them about something they're doing well. Something that that they've got going for them. He affirms them before he critiques them. But here in Sardis, he doesn't affirm them. Not to start. He says, wake up. Wake up. He's telling this city that's trusting in all its historic past that, that says we're the city of Xerxes and Cyrus. We're the city of Alexander the Great. We're the city of the gold rush. We're the city that has this majestic past. Wake up. In fact, a little bit before this piece that I just read, he says, you think you are alive, but you are almost dead. He's calling out the city. And he's using the city's history as part of it. Wake up, strengthen what remains. You're not the whole city you used to be. You've had part of you crumble. Part of you's fallen away. Wake up and strengthen what remains before you die completely, before your whole city is destroyed. Wake up before I come to you like a thief in the night. And you know what that's like. Sardis, this proud city with a proud heritage, was trusting in its past trusting in its past dignity and royalty and majesty to carry it through. And Jesus is speaking to the church in that city, saying, take note, you are not what you used to be. Your deeds are unfinished. You are not what you used to be. In fact, you're almost dead. You as a church have almost died. Wake up. Are we awake? We come from a rich heritage. We're going to celebrate in a few weeks some of the truths that have come out of that heritage, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We know how to think deeply in the Reformed tradition. We've learned how to, how to dig in the Scripture and, and to study the truths of Scripture and be able to teach them to our children and to our children's children. We have done this well for over 500 years. And when we study the history of the Reformed tradition, we also see that we're a, we're a church that, that not only thinks well, but we like good order. We know how to structure things. We know how to build things in the church. We know how to build the church up so that it works well. Are we awake? Are we trusting in our past heritage to carry us through? Are we tempted to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I made profession of faith when I was 18. I'm good to go. I don't need to think about growing in discipleship, growing in my capacity to love my neighbor, growing in affection for God. I can sit back and take it easy because I made profession of faith. I know the truth. Truth's going to set me free, right? I'm good to go. Are we awake? Spirit's word in this text is very pointed. Pointed to the church in Sardis in a context where they were trusting in their heritage and pointed to a church today where we have a tendency to rely on the greatness of our heritage 
rather than digging in and continuing to say, how, Lord, would you transform us here and now? Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. In some sense, Jesus is saying to them, you've got more work to do. You think you've done enough already. You think you've, you've gone far enough with your testimony of faith, but there is more work to do. I have more in store for you. Come with me. Wake up. I remember once I was working for a painting company. I was only 15, so I attribute some of this to my own naivety. That's how I justify it, at least. I was working for this painting company, and we had one of these big industrial complexes to do, and as you do with the guys who are new on the job and the grunt work, I was first assigned to sweep the rooms, and then I was asked to paint the floorboards. Do you know how tedious that is? painting the floorboards. Let me, let me go up on the, on the lifts and paint the big sweeping things with the rollers. No, I had to get down on the floor and paint the floorboards. And I got tired. I didn't actually fall asleep, but I was laying down so that my boss, when he walked in the room, thought I was sleeping. And I was painting that floorboard just oh so slowly he didn't say wake up, but he did say, get up. We got work to do in here. And he walked out of the room. It startled me. <laughs> it startled me having him walk in the room, but it startled me because I, I realized the impression I was giving was that I wasn't really doing the job. I realized that my very posture had become relaxed, so much so that my boss could think I was falling asleep on the job we become so relaxed that Christ thinks we're falling asleep on the job. Deeds unfinished. James talks about this quite a bit. He, he takes that faith we have in chapter 2 of, of James' letter. He takes that rich faith and the heritage of faith we have as God's people and he says that faith without deeds is, is dead. And, and then he ends that chapter this way. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's important for us to recognize because part of our rich heritage is that we're saved by faith, not by works. And we have a tendency in our Reformed tradition to, to kind of push deeds and works to the side and say, well, that's secondary. That's not really crucial to our faith. We're saved by faith alone. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but we're going to see in a moment it's a faith that has deeds woven into it. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Here's how James plays that out if we were to do this as a logic. Body without the spirit equals dead. We're all good with that. Second statement, faith without deeds equals dead. So we can have a body of faith, a rich, full body of faith, books and books and books and books of faith. John Calvin, who's, who's as close to a patron saint in the Reformed tradition as the Reformed tradition gets to saints, okay? And John Calvin wrote stuff every day of his life. There are some scholars who think he, he actually wrote more pages in his life than he was alive, number of days. So more than a page a day of published material. 
This guy had a publishing track record. He preached pretty much uh, every weekend, would preach a couple times on Sunday. He would teach during the week. He would teach and train new ministers and missionaries, and he would write, and he wrote volumes. We have tons of faith written down. We have the knowledge, this robust body of faith. But what takes, what the, what takes that faith and puts it into action? What makes it alive? It's deeds. Deeds are equivalent with the Spirit. It's, it's like coming upon a corpse that's laying there and has all the potential to be alive, but it's not yet alive. It's, it's like in the beginning when God comes up and he carves into the ground. It says he, he carves out of the ground uh, the first person, Adam, and Adam's body is there. But Adam's body's not moving until God breathes his Spirit into them. And here James is saying that spirit of life in our faith is our deeds. That's what animates our faith. That's what gets our faith going. That's what makes our faith alive. In some sense, if we don't have deeds with our faith, our faith has no meaning and no purpose. It is dead. James goes after this hard. But it's not just James. Paul does too. There's this great text, and we love it in our Reformed tradition, and it is an essential text for us to know. I would encourage everyone to memorize it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We're all good with that part, right? That's our traditional reform uh, understanding. But Paul doesn't stop there. There's actually another sentence to this paragraph, and it is absolutely essential. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our faith is given to us for good works. Our, our life in Christ is given to us for good works so that we might actually act upon what God has done in us and the grace he has given us. Our works don't earn us God's grace. Our works don't earn us God's favor, but God in his infinite wisdom has given us grace that we might go to work with him. Read that last little clause. Those good works aren't just one-time things, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We don't get to say... You know, there was that one time that I went and served the poor. <laughs> we don't get to say, you know, when they did the food drive at school, I brought in my favorite box of KD and I gave it up and I'm good to go. We don't get to say, I wrote a $1,000 check in the offering. That's got to cover me for a few weeks, right? We don't get to say any of that because it becomes a way of life. It's not a one-time action of good work that we're being called into. God's grace propels us into a lifestyle, a whole way of life that overflows with good works. What Jesus is saying to Sardis and to us, you have faith? It seems pretty dead right now. Show me your faith by the way you're living, as James put it. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Our faith 
unless it leads to action, unless it spills over and is animated by the good works that God calls us to through his spirit, leaves us dead like the church in Sardis. We have unfinished work to do. Are we awake yet? Scripture has a couple different things about waking up. A different storylines, different ways of understanding this waking up. And, and I want to highlight three of them for us this morning because I think they're, they're really helpful for us to understand what we're being called into in this passage. The first is, is Lazarus. Lazarus is a resurrection waking up. And it's completely appropriate for us to talk about someone who is dead and brought back to life, not only because we're in church, but because what Jesus says to the church in Sardis is, you think you're alive, but you're dead. There's a resurrection type of experience of waking up that God invites us into and Jesus is inviting us into through this passage. He's coming up to those of us who have drifted far away from him, who have ignored God, who have, who have chased after the pleasures of this world, who have turned our lives over to seeking and finding our own way apart from God. And he's saying, wake up! You're on a path that leads to death. You are dying. And I'm trying to grab hold of you and bring you back to life. Lazarus had died. Lazarus was literally so far gone that nobody wanted to open the tomb anymore because they were afraid of the smell of his decaying body. Four days long in the grave. Jesus comes, weeping because of the pain of the moment, weeping because his friend has died, weeping because of the, the brokenness and death and decay and the full weight of it all. And he speaks those words, Lazarus, come out! Lazarus, wake up. Come back to life. There's more for you here. And he brings Lazarus back. If you find yourself in a place where you think you are too far gone from God, that you've wandered too far away, that your sins are too great, that you have ignored him for far too long, this word to Sardis and to us is that you are never too far gone. You can be four days in the grave and not be too far gone for God to reach you. And some of us gathered here today need that resurrection experience. This is a wake-up call calling us back to life in God, in Jesus Christ. Some of us, some of us are awake. But we're more like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He, he was a Jewish child who had grown up and, and who had then aligned himself with the ways of the world around him. He found the best way to power, wealth, and security was to be the chief tax collector. Because then he got to, to siphon off money from all the other tax collectors and, and they siphoned off money from the people and he could charge whatever he wanted because he had the power of the Roman military behind him. He betrayed his own people in order to get ahead. Sure, he knew the faith. Sure, he had been brought up in the faith. But the worries and the riches of the world had choked that faith. And he met Jesus. You know what happened the moment Jesus said, wake up, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Zacchaeus jumps out of that tree and says, right here, right now, if I've cheated anybody out, I'm, I'm going to pay them back more than fourfold and, and I'm going to give back anything I've stolen. 
He has a conversion experience. It's a repentance. It's a, a change of heart. He was walking one way away from God, caught up in the riches and the power and the success of the world, and Jesus Christ spoke that wake-up call to him and turned him around. And for some of us, it's where we're at. We come here each Sunday going through the motions. We, we know the scriptures. We might even read the Today Journal over dinner, right? But most of our life is oriented around our wealth and our positions and our success. And God is speaking to us these words of wake up like he did to Zacchaeus. Wake up! The riches of the world and the success of the world is choking your faith and you are falling asleep. You are dying a slow death. Wake up. I have a life for you that's abundant and rich beyond your imagination. Wake up like Zacchaeus. I think most of us, though, most of us need the wake-up call that God gave through James to the 12 tribes scattered all among the nations. It's one of a call to righteousness. We know the form of godliness, but but we don't often live it out and we don't live it out fully. We kind of go into it half-heartedly. That's why that word in, in the catechism is so important. It comes up several times. It calls us to a wholehearted faith that we're ready from now on to live for him wholeheartedly. Religion that God our Father considers pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're called into a way of righteousness to, to live as Christ's body in this world, to engage the world with the love of Christ, looking after the orphans and widows, those who have been marginalized, those who have been distraught and who have suffered at the hands of the world around us, and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. It's essentially saying don't buy into the lies of the world, that wealth and fame is what it's all about. Don't buy into the lies of the world that if you have streets of gold, if you have all the gold in the world at your, at your fingertips like Sardis did, that'll make you safe. Don't buy into that lie. Receive the grace of Christ. Wake up. Enter a life that is dedicated to serving others, that pours out into others as Christ has poured out into you. Our deeds are unfinished time for us to wake up. But you know, this isn't just a personal call. It's also a communal call because we each may be able to identify with one of those places, but it's for us all together as God's people. C.S. Lewis says this, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. I picture a Dr. Seuss book here, an egg with wings trying to fly, Okay. We are all like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. Anybody who has chickens found a bad egg? Whew. Yeah. It's a real, real strong smell, isn't it? We were made for so much more. We were made as God's people for so much more than simply gathering in together and talking about our faith. We were made for so much more than just an hour and a half a week here in this place. 
We were made for a whole way of life. We were, we were made to be chickens, right? <laughs> to be hatched, to be a bird that goes out there, that flies, that, that engages the world around it. We weren't made to be eggs forever. We have this wonderful statement, actually a set of wonderful, rich statements. A few of us worked on this several years ago. Council approved it and talked about it. I've done a couple sermon series on these things before. Our vision, transformed by the gospel, our city and world renewed in Christ. Our mission, to serve our communities for the renewal of the city to the glory of God. Our values, steadfast prayer, transformative worship, active discipleship, generous stewardship, servant hospitality. We feel called to these things. We've articulated them and said, this is who we're to be. How are we doing? Are we resting? Man, that was great. Didn't we come up with great statements? I'm going to take a nap now. I mean, that's part of what it feels like, Right? We can say all these great things and have all these great things written down on paper and they are on paper. I can send you a PDF copy if you want. But it's so much more than that. We're called into a richness of life with Jesus Christ as a community of God's people that God says, I want to change the world through you and for Hamilton, I want to change the world through First Hamilton. Starting at the corner of Charlton and Hess and wherever I scatter you during the week, I want to transform you and I want to renew the world here and now, not just way back when and not just someday in the future when, he, when Christ returns. Here and now. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent group of Christians. We must be hatched but we're going to go bad. If all we have is just Sunday morning gatherings, we're going to go bad. We need a way of life together as God's people that overflows with the grace and the love of Christ, that's filled with the deeds of Christ so that we together will remember God's love and we will be able to see, say, I've tasted it, I've seen it. And our neighbors and the city around us will say, there's something happening there we've got to go see. And it won't be about us. It'll be because they see the love of Jesus Christ living in this place. It's time to wake up. Christ is saying to us, he has work for us to do. Let's pray. Change our hearts, O oh Lord. Make us ever true. Wake us up from our slumber, the slumber of such a rich meal of theology and practice as being church. Help us to live it out in action. Help us to apply ourselves to, to be in each other's homes and lives and to spill over in every avenue throughout the week that all we say and do may be filled with your glory and your love. Transform us. Transform us from sleeping giants to, to awake, alive giants that walk this city with your love and your grace. Help us to fly like those little birds that have hatched and are filled with wonder at the glory and the, the splendor of it all. Fill us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for waking us up. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together, Lord of the Church. It's songbook number 80 in the black binders. Number 80 in the black binders.